one of the things that we try to help the Minda understand is the relationship that you're having is not with the person. The relationship that you're having is with your drug. Yes. And the person in some way is just representing the drug. Yes. And so it's not to any way dehumanize or um, belittle the person that was the affair partner. And it's also to understand there was a role that that person was playing, and that's what the man was connected to. That's mm -hmm. what he was getting out of the experience. Yeah. Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. We're happy to be back with you today with, our, as usual, our host, Dr. Greg Miller. Thank you. It's good to be here. Great to see you as always, Greg. And we have a special guest for you today. We're, we've been excited to introduce you to one of the newest members of our team here at Faithful and True, and this is Rebecca Deckers. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm kind of excited. Yeah, yeah well, we're very excited to have you. We, uh, we've been looking forward to this, and uh, we get a lot of very positive feedback from our listeners when we uh, have the opportunity to feature members of our Faithful and True team. Mm -hmm. uh, it, uh, it, it helps us uh, give some insight into not only your experience and your knowledge as a counselor, but your personality and, uh, mm. you know, everything that uh, makes you the wonderful you that yeah. you are. Uh, well, That's right. <laughs> so we're happy to have you with us today. And Greg, what did you feel like we should delve into with Rebecca today? Well, first, we are going to do a little bit of an introduction. Mm. And so, um, Rebecca, we just want to hear a little bit, like I know some of this information, but our listeners probably don't. We were just talking about the fact that you grew up in Canada, so... Um, what was it that brought you initially down south, um, or as we just talked about, a little bit east or west um, yes. from your hometown? So I did grow up in the Toronto area, um, which is uh, the particular spot I grew up in is actually slightly south of where we are here, <laughs> um, which is always a fun thing to point out to Minnesotans. Um, and when I came originally, I came in my college years, um, primarily to go to college, um, but on a soccer scholarship, a small so soccer oh, scholarship. So I enjoy okay. lots of sports. And um, did you find, like, growing up with soccer an important part of who you were? Did that kind of become a little bit of your identity? Um, yes, huge, actually. Even when you look back, it's kind of um, interesting how big that was as part of my life. And then um, I had an ACL injury and it was taken. And it's interesting the process of reformulating that mm -hmm. aside from uh, sports. Um, and I played multiple sports, but without sports, now who am I? Right. Yeah, Rebecca uh, yeah. without soccer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I know with many of the men that we work with that come to our workshop and and that I work with individually is there is a pretty significant crisis of identity mm when your sports takes you as far as it can, whether it's in high school or you know, in college or even maybe a little bit beyond that. But once those days are over, yeah. I do think for a lot of people, there's a real sense or question of who am I without this part of me that's defined me for so long? Yeah, and you don't recognize it at the time that this was uh, such a big deal. And then mm. when it's gone, then the vacuum, then mm. the, the noticing. So yeah, that was a big part of life. Well, and especially when it's taken away from you because of an injury. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one thing to feel like you got to play out your full mm-hmm. career, whatever that is, to the extent that your ability would take you. But when it feels like that was robbed of me, you know, I currently work with someone that would say that's their case too, that they didn't get to reach their potential because of an injury early on that they never fully recovered from. Mm-hmm. And so there's that huge grief of mm-hmm. not being able to realize something that could take you even further if it wasn't for the injury. Right. Yes. How far into your college soccer career did did the injury take place? Well, it is interesting because it took place in one of my last high school games. Oh, um, and okay. so then I uh, kept the scholarship, tried to rehab, and just never really came back. So it was like this constant trying to get to where I was um, and then not getting there. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, and then slowly grieving it, sort of having to let go, even though I was still having to show up and try and... Right. Well, and you know, one one of the things that I hear a lot of the men that I work with is what ends up happening is you begin to accommodate and adjust to constant pain. Yeah. And so you have to dismiss it in order to keep trying to go after the dream. But it's constantly teaching yourself to be, you know, disassociated and not present with yourself or deny something that is really obvious Mm -hmm. in order for you to continue to pursue the dream. Mm Yes, definitely. Um, I also understand that part of your um, professional repertoire is you like uh, the modality of equine therapy. So how did you get involved with that? Well, it is always neat um, to look back and see the weaving together of things. So I worked in... um, Throughout my high school and college years, I worked with horses in kids' camps um, and did trail rides. Um, and then I worked at a thoroughbred breeding farm for a while. I worked for a cutting horse trainer for a little while. Um, and I always loved that. And I loved having it be part of my life. And I felt like, man, maybe there's something more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, as are my my own uh, life experienced chaos, my own um, explosion happened, I was sort of reassessing, um, I think, as we all do. Um, and I was um, trying to figure out, you know, what's next for me. Um, and first, initially, one of my, my minors in college was theology, and I always loved that. So um, I went back initially and began my MDiv work. Um, and on one of the, um, we, I signed up for, because I didn't know what to do with it. I knew I liked this, but I didn't know what to do with it. There was a, a discernment, a prayer, day of prayer. Um, and so I signed up for that through the university that I was at. And um, I'm, I'm pretty sure within the first uh, 15 minutes, I was like, yeah, I know. I'm going to switch to the LMFT program. <laughs> um, and so I had a nice, peaceful day at the retreat center the rest of the day. But that answer was answered already. Kind of you relaxed. Yeah, you, you, I you did, actually. You. I was hanging. It wasn't a wasted yeah. day at all. <laughs> um, but then it was interesting even in that. Um, you know, we had horses. Um, we, uh, My whole family plays um, some equine sports. Um, and we, um, I knew I liked this, and I, I didn't know it could be a possibility. And as I'm entering and looking at um, the final years and looking at internships, I found there was a place not 20 minutes from me that offered equine therapy. And so um, discovered the whole area, how I could, how I could draw those two mm-hmm. things together. And it, it really is a powerful way to do therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little more complicated. It's, uh, there's, there's difficult things in it because we've got now another personality we're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is, um, 
really impactful, I think. Uh, and I love the weaving together that you can do um, with body-based learning, um, with a good lens on trauma and attachment um, with equine partners. Right. So it's a neat way to do work. Yeah. Um, well, and it's a, a great way to say it because um, I'm, I'm not skilled in it. I'm not really uh, very well educated in it. And the thing that I consistently hear is how the um, horse is a part of a partnership mm -hmm. in the process. And it's how the individual relates to the horse mm. that reveals so much about mm. the person. And, you know, we all benefit when something is held up to us where we can see ourselves more clearly. And I love this idea that it's this relationship between the client and the horse. But what is revealed is what is going on with the client not really what's going on with the horse yes. because the horse is just reflecting what's going on in me. Yes. And one of the things we like to say too is the horse is um, that relational component. They are a sentient being. They mm. are their relationship. They're, they're who they are shows up also because they're not just a, a biofeedback machine. Right. They're, they're bringing this other, their safe otherness mm -hmm. to the relationship. Right. Um, and so even down to which horse somebody picks to work on, it's, it can be very informative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In in the process, um, because you would know the horses, were there times where you just felt drawn that this is the horse that somebody needed to work with? And so you kind of maybe took more of an initiative and brought that horse into the therapeutic relationship. Yeah, that can be complicated mm -hmm. because you have to notice, is this just me wanting to manage? Um, is this me wanting to... Um, uh, speak into what I think needs to happen. And sometimes when, and there's a mix, sometimes that is important because uh, equine literacy, I guess, learning to know and read horse language isn't something everyone comes in with. So I, I might have a really good um, idea about who, how this, you know, what could be helpful and formative right. in this relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes when I let go, um, the horses can really step up as a good equine partner in it. Mm -hmm. And they'll, they'll bring something that I, I couldn't have planned. Right. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love about your story is you have this history with horses that predates therapy. Mm. So, you know, if, if I come to equine therapy and I've never really had a relationship with horses, I may only see the horse through one lens. Mm. But because you have this history with the horses, there's so much more than just what happens in equine therapy. They're all of who they are. And I think that probably actually makes you more effective in what it is that you do and how you um, facilitate the process and the journey. Yeah, big time. Um, because it is subtle. Um, and that's what I love about the work. It's subtle um, and you have to know um, how they're communicating um, and be able to stay in touch too with your own sense of what's going on in the relationship. Um, it's interesting too. One time I was doing some of my work for certifying and I watched a video of myself. We had to film ourselves and submit it. And, um, and you know, I think I'm pretty in touch with the horses, especially my horses. Um, and then watching the video, I saw how much communication was going on that I wasn't even picking up in mm -hmm. real time. So there is, um, there's a lot to know. So right. to that point, yeah. Well, you've kind of alluded to this, that you have your own story of an explosion or whatever mm -hmm. language that you would use. Mm -hmm. And that is how you initially found Faithful and True. And so when did you begin to transition from benefiting from the resources and the, the work here at Faithful and True to transition to becoming a part of the team? What was that journey for you? 
Well, um, I uh, it's really fairly recent. Um, I've been on the team here since October, mm-hmm. um, so not so long. Um, and I had reached out to Debbie um, because I thought Faithful and True needed equine work. Um, and so I was... Uh, at the place I was at, I thought, hey, this would be a neat place to invite her into. And that didn't end up happening. Um, but uh, since I was in the middle midst of a transition myself, we thought um, that now maybe would be the time to come. So if I understand kind of the chronology of your story, you were a therapist when life exploded. No. Oh, yes, you came sorry. later. Yes. yes. Okay, so what was that experience? Yes. So I had... Um, we had moved multiple times, um, and in one of our moves, we knew of Faithful and True as, be, right before our explosion, or no, right after our explosion had happened. Um, and um, so we moved here, and we got involved, um, and both of us pretty much absorbed everything um, that Faithful and True had to offer, um, and was in groups for a long time. Um, and then... Um, sort of went about life for a while, um, and then that's when I began sort of that period of discerning what might be next for mm-hmm. me, and then went through school. And okay, so the discernment up. piece yeah. was part of kind of your journey and even your recovery as you're thinking, how do I move away from this chaos and not be defined by it, yes. and yet be informed by it? Yes, yep, yep, okay. well said. Well, um, so we... You and I have talked about various things that we could talk about. And so what we want to talk about today is specifically, um, you work with a lot of women who come through Faithful and True. You're a part of that community. And so what is the type of support or encouragement or even maybe the unique help or response that a woman needs if her husband's acting out was more relational and less transactional? Um, a lot of the men who come through maybe... Um, they have acted out with someone else, but it was more of a one-time experience, or maybe it was even uh, very transactional. It was something that they gave money for. But we also have um, men who come through the Faithful and True workshop that would identify that they were in a long-term relationship, mm-hmm. that um, they had an affair partner that was um, ongoing for a while. And I know that when we're working with the men, there are some unique things that we want to address and talk about in that context. Mm-hmm. So my guess is if you're working with a woman who also has had that experience, mm-hmm. that there may be some specific or um, particular messages or even processes that they might need to go through. Yeah, they're all, there is in each of the... Um, different kinds of stories that come here to Faithful and True. There are unique things. Um, and so, um, and there's a difference, um, you know, with um, a woman's process when it is perhaps um, in addition to some of the more anonymous types mm-hmm. of acting out. And I think that is a uh, kind of a big word for it, you know, moving from anonymous to more relational or mm-hmm. emotional. I mean, it does come with a different level of chaos or, or different chaos. And I would want to say even perhaps more chaos and mm-hmm. more pain. Um, and research does show that that can be um, significant, um, that it is more pa- more pain. Um, and I, so I think that's one of the key things we could start right there that would right. need to be um, 
addressed as part of the unique characteristics when there's an emotional and relational affair. Right. Yeah. My, my guess is one of the things that is important for a wife to receive is that validation mm -hmm. that this is significant, that this is painful, that there is a unique component to this when there's this ongoing relational context for the acting out. Um, and it's, it's maybe another context of betrayal mm -hmm. that the wife is experiencing. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of like it's another dimension, mm -hmm. um, you know, moving from 2D to 3D in some way, we could say. Um, and it touch, it can seem to touch more things. Um, and that the word I would want to say when I'm working with women that seems... Um, to be characteristic is there's a disorientation mm -hmm. that happens. And so it's a lot of um, moving through that chaos because this looks like it mimics a real relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and so it can be difficult to name it for what it is or, or to, um, you know, have those, those boundaries around it and let, instead of having it sort of rumble inside them as a real relationship. I know for the men that we work with, sometimes there's even a question of, because it was an ongoing affair, is this really the context of addiction? Yes, exactly. Um, and so I wonder if that's some of the questions that a wife would have is how can this be an addiction or is this an addiction when it went on for so long with the same person? Yes, that's exactly what I mean, that it looks like, it feels like. And so it can be in that same way it's chaotic and confusing for the men, it is for the women too. Um, and it can feel then too um, where some of that pain comes from um, so much more difficult to depersonalize it, mm -hmm. which is so important mm -hmm. as in the process that this is not about me. Well, how could it not be about me? It's another person who is in my place. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that becomes some of that nebulous stuff right. to hang on to. Yeah. Well, one, one of the things that we try to help the men to understand is the relationship that you're having is not with the person. The relationship that you're having is with your drug. Yes. And the person in some way is just representing the drug. Yes. And so it's not to any way dehumanize or um, belittle the person that was the affair partner. And it's also to understand there was a role that that person was playing and that's what the man was connected to. That's mm -hmm. what he was getting out of the experience. Yeah. And so... It, it is confusing where there was this relationship, there was this connection with a person. And so I know that for some of the men, it's difficult for them to understand, yes, you know, I might have had feelings for this person, mm -hmm. but those feelings were in the context of me acting out with my drug. Mm -hmm. And it's that same principle of what do I want to be rescued from? What do I want to be rescued to? Mm -hmm. And I know that for some of the men, it's, it's confusing for them because they would say the relationship that they had with their affair partner did not take away or um, uh, was not seen as uh, an injury to their marriage because they loved their wife, they wanted mm -hmm. to be with their wife. This was an additional thing. And I think that that could be incredibly painful for a wife if the husband can't see the direct betrayal, the affair has created. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, exactly. And that definitely is something that I address with the women that were that I'm working with. That um, that some of those those concepts um, that that I guess saying the getting your concept of what an affair is mm -hmm. is so important to help orient because that disorientation is such a key component. And so knowing for sure that uh, the neurochemistry um, uh, uh, is a substantial part, mm -hmm. um, and that this 
this is a relationship that is um, at its core built on falsehood. Mm -hmm. You know, the illicitness of it is what brings the energy. Um, and so practicing naming some of those things that, that make this different from a, a real relationship. And so I think neurochemistry for sure, um, that, that illicitness, that energy, it's a foundation of falsehood. This, right. this would not probably exist aside from the fact that it's... Um, you know, like Romans 7, not supposed to be. Right. That adds mm -hmm. the energy behind it almost immediately. Well, and there, the secrecy of it gives yes. it power. Yes. And um, again, one of the things that we talk to the men about is um, if you're trying to compare an affair partner with your wife, the affair partner many times is going to win because she's not going to be mad at you for having an affair. Mm -hmm. She already knows that you're married and she's chosen to enter into that. Mm -hmm. And so she's accepting you for that part of you that your wife will have the strongest reaction to. Mm -hmm. One of the things about the secrecy, whether it's an affair or the acting out itself, uh, some other form of acting out, it is an illusion of safety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, one of the things that we talk about, the power of the drug is this sense of isolation. And so even if I've included somebody else in my acting out, I've not included them in my life. I've included them in my isolation. Yeah. And so that sense of isolation actually gives it more power. Yes. I mean, it can't stand in the context of the greater truth of my other relationships, my sense of faith and commitment to God, my commitment to my children. And so the more isolated it becomes the more powerful it becomes and also the more destructive it becomes. Yes. Yeah, that was the other characteristic I think is key to point out is that it is detached from reality. <laughs> um, there is no seeing how um, you would respond, like how you are in relationship with your mom, how you handle tax season, um, how, so that, that complete decontextualization of it um, does somewhat support it. So mm -hmm. again, um, that's part of recognizing that it's not a real relationship. Right. Yeah. Um, and at its core, it is a fantasy. Um, and that is another part where sometimes um, it's easier for the wives I work with to hold on to that it is, um, that it's a real relationship. It's, it's, um, it's touching all these things and harder to hold on to. It's a fantasy mm -hmm. different than say pornography right. alone, where that is just in the mind. Um, and that's another key part of reorienting um, the wives I work with that mm. this is at its core a fantasy. Right. Yeah. I, I would also say that part of the dynamic is recognizing there is a relationship. The relationship, again, may not be with the person. It is yeah. with the reaction. It's what gets triggered in me. Again, it's that relationship with my drug. Mm -hmm. I think another factor that is complicated is because the husband has a relationship with a person, the, the wife in some way also has a connection to that person, mm -hmm. even though they may not know that person at all or well. And so do you see that for some of the women whose husbands have acted out in an ongoing affair, that the wife feels compelled or drawn to find out about this other person, to get, not to get to know them, but to get an understanding of who they are and what their role was or what their, con their power over their spouse is? Yes, because, and, and I mean, that's a big part 
um, of every woman's journey um, in, in this healing process in general is, is absorbing information. Mm -hmm. um, but in particular, it can be about the affair person um, because there is that um, sense of invasion into your life. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that can be so chaotic for wives also um, is not only this is something my my husband, my partner has experienced, but someone who has also experienced my partner. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's some of that invasion and mm -hmm. needing to find information and needing to reorient. Yeah. Um, so we're coming to an end, but I do have one more question. Mm -hmm. So what is the coaching or the encouragement that you would give a wife who has a lot of energy and curiosity and desire to get to know as much as she can about the affair partner. Maybe I want to look her up on social media. Maybe I want to drive by where she lives, or maybe I want to find out where she works. Is there some encouragement and some direction that you would give someone in discerning what, what is a wise and healthy way to respond? What is valid information to get that is helpful? Mm -hmm. And when does it transition to actually becoming re-traumatizing for the wife? Well, and I think uh, that it's a good question um, because it is it makes a lot of sense that wives would want to seek mm -hmm. this information. And so I think that's the first thing is to say that it makes sense and, and to be gentle mm -hmm. um, as you're sort of finding that line. Um, and a key part would be um, what we had just talked about, recognizing this for what it is. Um, and that it, it, I like your words on it, that it is a relationship, but not necessarily um, a relate that the details of the other person are all that significant. Mm -hmm. um, and so just right sizing that, um, that the importance of that information. Right. Um, and so some, some information might be helpful to know are there, there places that, um, you know, if it is somebody that you didn't know, or if it is uh, somebody you knew a little, to know, to have that power over, um, are our paths likely to cross? Right. Um, are, uh, are there relationships that might be intermingled or linked? Um, and so just looking for those points of contact and then practicing letting go. Mm -hmm. I think of the rest. Right. Yeah. You know, I know when I'm working with a man, I can work with him for years. And what we focus on is that the role that the drug played in your life. That's what I want to understand is what did you want to be rescued from? What did this thing appear to rescue you to? Um, what were the legitimate needs you were trying to meet in this illegitimate way? And I could be working with a man for a year and at the end of that experience, know very little or maybe... Mm. Um, nothing about mm. the affair partner mm. and I can fully understand the role that that person was playing in his life and so maybe that's also the context when husbands and wives are trying to talk about this to be able to figure out what was that role that this experience was playing for you what yeah. what was it that you were trying to get from the experience what was that legitimate need that you had that you are trying to meet in this illegitimate way. Yeah, almost the framework yes. of it rather than the details of. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Well, great. Well, yeah. thanks for being with us. Yeah. And yeah. we'll look forward to doing this again. All right. <laughs> yes, we'll see. <laughs> I promised you that we'd be gentle. <laughs> you know, it's great to have you on the podcast. And uh, just hearing more about the uh, equine mm. therapy, that's very intriguing. Mm. We'd like to, uh, we haven't started working on the corral in the back yet. <laughs> yeah. but 
That's uh, that could be in the works. Who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, but thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, uh, if you are the spouse uh, of a man that is struggling with uh, sexual purity issues, and you've heard Rebecca speak today, um, give us a call at Faithful and True, and uh, uh, we can help you line up the opportunity to uh, to counsel with Rebecca, and uh, she can share more of her experience and knowledge with you. Um, if you're a man who is struggling with pornography or other issues of sexual, uh, unwanted sexual behavior. Faithful and True hosts the Men's Journey Workshop, and we offer that every month here at our center. And uh, visit faithfulandtrue.com where you can find many resources. You can find all of these podcasts. We have over 400 available podcasts, as well as all of the information about our Men's Journey Workshop for the spouses, the women's journey uh, workshop, and for couples, the couples journey workshop. So until we join you again, we uh, hope that uh, this week will be a week for you that's filled with many blessings and with great vision. <music>